Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and your host for today is none other than Andy Steiger. Today, Andy is sitting down for an interview with Samuel Perez, who was formerly a gay go-go dancer. Though growing up in a Christian home, it wasn't until he had a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit who revealed to him that the life he was living was a lie. And now he has dedicated his life to sharing the gospel on his online platform, telling people about the transformational power of Jesus Christ that can save us all. But before we get into today's episode, I got some good news. I'm excited to report that Apologetics Canada has been offered a $100,000 matching donation. That means we have the potential to raise $200,000 before the end of 2022. As we seek to increase our impact across Canada, we need your help to double our resources so that we can do more together. You can double your impact by making a tax-deductible donation before midnight, December 31st, 2022. Donations are accepted online at www.apologeticcanada.com and by e-transfer to give at apologeticcanada.com. By check made payable to Apologetics Canada Ministries and mailed to our office at 2829 Westside Place, Abbotsford, BC, V2T4WF. Thank you so much for considering this special opportunity to partner with us in ministry. And now for the episode. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger, and I am joined today with Samuel Perez. Welcome to the show, Samuel. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it is great to have you. Did I say your last name correctly? Perez, yes. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> great. great. Now, listen, I'm a little jealous because it started snowing slightly today and it's cold, but you're in Miami. Tell me, what's the weather like today in Miami? Well, the weather today was beautiful. Um, it was not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> 82 degrees, nice little breeze in the air. And we I had the sun out. <laughs> nice beautiful greenery as well um yeah it was, it was miami is beautiful weather i mean i feel like i'm living on a tropical island like every day <laughs> i love florida man are you are you an ocean guy do you get out to the ocean there to be honest i don't really i think i don't take advantage of it since i just grew up so close to the ocean and sand is not my dig so i just hate <laughs> how the sand gets all over me uh, like everywhere in places you don't want sand to be in. And so I try to avoid the, the, the beach. Um, however, I do like swimming. I, I like the water and I think I need to use it a little bit more for sure. Well, definitely jealous, but I have to ask this. Uh, Florida does come with its drawbacks. Did you hit, Did you get hit by this uh, hurricane that came through? No, luckily, thank God we did not. Um, it, it skipped over us. I, I think it went through like Key West and then uh, like up to Cape Corral or somewhere around there. But no, it didn't go through us. But we have now another tropical storm that is looming over our heads. But this is something that, you know, we experience every year. So if you just hurricane proof your house, you should be fine. It should nothing bad should happen, you know. Okay. So just batten up and get ready for whatever, whatever. Yeah, you never know. You never know. And and we have to constantly be fixing our roofs and stuff. So when that comes around those, those roofer businesses, they're ecstatic. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we're going to jump into your story today. And I want to thank you for being willing to to be on the show and to go into your story. I I don't know how you kind of describe your story these days, but as I've watched you on YouTube, you often will describe your story as um, that, that you went, you, that you went from being a gay stripper to Christ. Is, is that how you would say it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I was not a full stripper. 
I was a go-go dancer, but most people don't know what go-go dancing is and the difference between the two. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, go-go dancing is basically like it's not all nude. It's not as provocative. It's it's more so, you know, you're in your underwear, you're in costumes. And uh, that's the difference. As a stripper's more, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of connotations that come with that. Go-go dancing is, is, is more for events, parties, a little bit more classy. Um, but I was getting to the point for sure. It was, it was getting in that direction at one point. I'm glad I stopped myself. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's rewind the tape and let's talk about your story and where it did head to. And there's some really interesting twists and turns that I wanted to talk about with you and different questions just uh, that I wanted to ask. Because if I, if I understand correctly, you grew up in a Christian family? Yes, I did. My parents were incredible believers. They went to church almost every single day, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> they were that kind of parents. And uh, I would go to church with them. And I grew up watching Jesus cartoons, animated stories from the Bible. I don't know if you're familiar. Those are incredible. Uh, the guy who made those deserves like all the awards. <laughs> I still watch them <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> And uh, I really know, I really, I I grew up knowing about Jesus. I had a very close relationship with Jesus. I would even, there would be times when I would go in the car and my sister would sit sit next to me and I would tell her, no, that's, that's a spot for Jesus. Like he's sitting next to me. And so I would, I was very aware that Jesus was a very real thing in my life. And my parents, they, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily like that for my brother and my sister. So there's always this very real connection with me and the spirituality um, or the spiritual um, that my even my siblings didn't have. And so I grew up in a, in a great home compared to so many other people. My dad wasn't necessarily around all the time. We, we were immigrants. And so my parents immigrated from Cuba to uh, Venezuela and then to Miami. And so my dad had to keep up with the bills and pay. And so um, pay those bills. <laughs> and um, he just wasn't around that much. You know, um, he was providing for his family. So there was definitely a lack of having a father figure in, in, in my life. And then also my mom was very overbearing. Um, but she was also trying to provide for the family as well, going to PA school. She's, you know, in the medical industry. And, um, and so there wasn't a lot of support emotionally for me, even though I grew up Christian, it was more so religious more than anything. Um, an understanding of the fruits of the spirit. And um, I think my parents were doing their best to figure that out, you know. So tell me in that, when did this turn towards homosexuality take place in your life? Well, um, I knew that I was different um, ever since I was a little boy. Obviously, as you can tell, like there's not a lot of children that would save a spot for Jesus. Um, And so, but I was different in so many aspects as well. I loved colors, I loved long hair. I loved my sister's dresses. Um, I found boys my age to be very different from me. And so there was an intense, uh, strong interest, I would say, um, and curiosity that surrounded the same sex for me. I didn't think like them. I didn't act like them. I didn't talk like them. I didn't move like them. Um, I remember one time I got kicked out from my (laughs) elementary um, dance team because they said I danced too much like Britney Spears. And so I don't know what that means. I was like, I was going to say, what does that mean? I was like seven. I have no idea. Like maybe I was being too sexual with my dance moves. I I didn't even know who Britney Spears was all that much. I think I'd seen like one music video. Um, But I was out there, you know, I was, uh, I was flamboyant for for sure. My parents had to teach me um, 
they had to tell me like, you can't move your hands like this. You can't move your hips like this, or you can't stand in this way. Stop um, crossing your legs. You know, men don't cross their legs when they sit. So things like that. Um, I knew I was different for sure. And when I started to experience that curiosity for other boys, it magnified to an intensity around when I was in eighth grade. So I kind of just shrugged it off my shoulders my whole life. And I just denied it. I denied that I was different and tried to fit in as much as I could through the midst of being bullied in school and harassed almost every day for the way that my voice, my voice used to sound like this and it was high <laughs> and it was like girly and, um, and I would get made fun of. And so, um, and just my posture and different things like that. Miami is very macho. And so very masculine and manly. Back then it was a different time as well. Very different than what we live in today. Even, even though it hasn't even been that long. That's the craziest thing to think about. It's changed so much. But I, um, I really started to feel it in the eighth grade. And that's when I started to kind of confront what was going on on the inside of me. I had all these girlfriends that I was pretending to like per se. Like I liked them as an individual, but I didn't have any sexual feelings towards them. And so I tried to make it work uh, and it was almost like a beard. So it was like, I'm using this individual to just cover up the fact that I don't, I, like I have attractions towards men, but it wasn't something I had admitted to myself yet. And so the first time I admitted it was when I started to develop feelings for my best friend at the time in eighth grade. And he was the sweetest guy. He was the first guy to ever show me any type of attention and not treat me differently, not bully me. And I just became enamored. I became obsessed with that relationship. And then I had to start asking myself the question, uh, do I like this guy sexually? And I started to fantasize about his lips and his body. And, and I started to think about things I never thought about before. And I remember asking myself in the shower um, if I was gay. Like I just, I was like, Samuel, are you gay? You know, do you like men? And I was like, I think I do. And now we have a huge problem because growing up in the church, I knew that if you were gay, you were going to go to hell basically. And that was my ignorant viewpoint of everything. Um, and I was so scared. I was like traumatized. I think no child should have to have the amount of pressure or to keep something in as a secret like that for such a long time. Um, it does something to you psychologically. And I'm still yeah. recovering from that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So well, what would you say? You, you would say we need to have an atmosphere that needs to be able to talk about these things? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed so much today's day and age. Like I said, um, it's not the same as it was before, which I'm very happy. You know, a lot of people, they hate the progressive movement. And I'm actually very glad for the progressive movement in some aspects. You know, um, I don't want to say that I affirm any type of sinful behavior. Um, but it has opened up doors and created opportunities and conversations for people that would not have been able, would not have been possible before in the past. And there's Getting people so, talking. Yes, exactly. There's so many conversations now happening around transgenderism. And, you know, as Christians, we are like, you know, it's, it's like a double-edged sword. You know, some, some parts of it were like, okay, we're glad everyone's being honest now <laughs> and questioning everything, putting everything out there. Cause we know we've, we've had this problem for a long time, centuries. Um, it isn't up until recently we started talking about it again. Cause as we know, in biblical times, this was very open. Homosexuality was very open, very, very common. Um, just maybe not so talked about, you know, uh, the way that we do it now, but then went through the ages, through history, we started to cover it up. Christianity became more prevalent. 
government, all that stuff, all that mess. And, uh, and then now we're opening up ourselves again, not exactly in the, in the best way, but, um, but it is creating those conversations. And so for me, I'm happy that those conversations are happening, that people are being transparent, people are being honest, because that way they don't have to go through what I went through as a child where I felt so alone. And I felt as though something was terribly wrong with me and there was no one to talk about it with. You know, even still to to this day, we we were just having a conversation, you and me before his podcast, and I was saying there's not even authors that are writing about this kind of stuff now recently. Um, still preachers are not necessarily it's it's just not being talked about in the Christian church enough. And I, so I agree with you. You know, it's one of the things yeah. I've actually been talking more about and is one of the reasons why we've been having different stories like yourself and we've we've had others on, because we often I think want to avoid controversy. And the, cha- the challenge is, of course, is that we can't. And, and interestingly enough, I think you're bringing up a really good point that if you try to avoid controversy, often what you do is put a lot of pressure on, on people and you're silencing a lot of people where now they can't talk through issues, you know, because again, it's not like, it's not like just because something's controversial that you must affirm it. I mean, yeah. We're talking about just talking about it. Can we just have the conversation so that we can work through things together instead of suffering in isolation? Is, is, is Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. I definitely suffered a lot in the isolation and still do, you know, really still do. I've, I'm five years in ministry and I feel alone sometimes. I feel like I'm running an uphill like battle, you know, I'm just always running against the current of what's being propagated, what's being said. And putting myself out there so that other people, so that I can pioneer path for other people that will go after me, which is very important. Well, and and I want to, I want to, there's a lot there that I think we should talk about because mm-hmm. one of the things I often will say to people is you won't believe in spiritual warfare until you start doing ministry. And I, and I think a lot of what you're talking about though is it's spiritual warfare at the same time where, yeah, <laughs> you know, like. There's certain things Satan doesn't want you talking about. There's certain things that, you know, spiritual forces would rather you be isolated and quiet and not engage in the conversation, right? Because that that's what that's what they that's what he wants. And uh let's so let's just put a pin in that though, because we gotta keep let's yeah, keep definitely. moving with your story, but we gotta circle back on that because I think that's such an important, <laughs> important issue. Because honestly, Samuel, I would say there's a lot of us that feel that way. There's a lot of us that feel in ministry, particularly feel alone, isolated, that uh, it can be, it can be very depressing and it can be challenging at times. But uh, I think that that's, that's part of the, that's part of the challenge of spiritual warfare and, and preaches to the huge need of community. Again, Mm -hmm. though, we're going to put a pen in that. So tell me, you know, where did things then go in your story? So you're you're struggling with these feelings. You're coming to this conclusion uh, ab- about yourself, but yet you're suffering in isolation. Yeah. Um, well, after eighth grade, I came out to my parents and I told them that was one of the most difficult things I, I ever had to do. So scared. I mean, just, I, I don't even know why I was scared, but I think it was the pressure of like, they're going to throw me out or maybe they're going to get abusive or you know, my parents, they, they were great parents. They never did anything bad, but it was just these intrusive thoughts of like this fear of what will people think about me? What is my family going to think about me? What are my friends going to think about me? So much pressure. 
it's been such a long time that I can't even begin to understand it when it happened at the moment. I can just have little pictures of it. But I ended up coming out. My parents, my mom specifically, really wanted to help me. And so she got me signed up for a couple of these ex-gay ministries. And I started attending Exodus Conference. And I believe the conference was in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, or North Carolina or something like that. I went to a couple. I went to like two or three. My mom basically forced me to go. <laughs> mm. And she was like, if you don't go, like, I'm going to ground you. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So I went to the conferences and it wasn't horrible, nothing crazy. But I think their focus was more so on the change of how people would perceive you and the change of your attractions than on Jesus. Mm. And um, I don't know if it was maybe, and that, I could be wrong on that. Um, but that seems to have been a lot of the backlash that they even receive now today in um, some documentaries that have been made that they weren't really focusing on Jesus. It was more so um, the actions or the portrayal. But uh, so I went to that and it didn't work. Obviously, <laughs> I came out of the closet and I didn't want to go back in it. I was wanting to live my life and I downloaded Grinder and started exploring sexually and very quickly realized that the gay world that I was idolizing was nothing like what I expected it to be. For those yeah. people who are, are unaware, an, an app like Grinder would be a way to meet up with other gay men. Is that right? Yes, it's, um, it's supposed to be a way to meet up with other guys who share um, the same you know, sexuality. But it just has become a hookup app over the last year. <laughs> well, not last year, but like I think since it came out. And so um, I was very young at the time. I think I was like 17. I shouldn't even have been on the app, but I was. And um, got exposed to a lot of sexual behaviors very quickly. And so I um, ended up like losing my virginity at 18. And um, I thought I was going to meet my Prince Charming. I thought I was going to get married and have this monogamous, beautiful relationship. I was so ignorant of um, just the, the lies. I was so innocent. And I really fell for it because uh, I was just like this, you know, this like, little Christian boy. I was homeschooled as well for the majority of my um, high school years and um, just very ignorant. And so I was played a lot and hurt a lot. And then I decided that I was going to leave Miami after going to an art school. So I was in college for theater and I wanted to just move away from Miami and get away from everything and the hurt that I had experienced here. And I moved to New York City. When I moved to New York, um, I did not know anybody, no one in the entire city. I moved to Brooklyn and I got a job as a personal trainer and I was trying to do acting on the side and I was exposed to a drag queen and I was really big into drag queens because they kept it real. What do you mean by that? Like it's, it's more so drag queens are a representation of everything that is like looked down upon in society. And so their job is to shock society, basically. Um, so that's why they dress up like women. Women, Men dressing up like women would be the greatest shock or the, the biggest turnaround, basically. It's like, it's the thing that is the quote unquote, biblically the most wrong, right? Like men should not be dressing as women because men are men, women are women. And so that's their whole thing. They express their feelings, how they're feeling it instead of being people pleasers, um, or they, they just always are, are, are very open and vulnerable and transparent. I, I really was attracted to that because I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I'm like, I don't care how you feel. I just like, I'm going to tell you how I feel, you know, like this is my real, real. And, um, and so I was exposed to drag queen while I was, uh, training personally. 
and by exposed, I don't mean like sexually. <laughs> I just like was in relationship. And um, she, he invited me to a, a, a gay bar and told me that if I wanted to meet more people, that I could essentially start stripping or go-go dancing. And so I got my first gig at a gay bar in Brooklyn. And I started um, just, you know, sh uh, passing out shots in my underwear. And, um, and then it, like I've always said in life, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 100%. <laughs> I, I'm that kind of perfectionist kind of person. And so I'm like, if I'm going to be a stripper, I'm going to be the best stripper like everyone has ever seen. So invested into costumes, uh, found the event company that I could find um, to book me for the most important gay parties that were happening in New York City. And um, it was an experience. I can tell you that. I have many stories. Crazy. I don't even want to talk about it. Um, crazy stories, things that no person should see. Um, but I did it and I was incredibly depressed and very sad. And um, my life wasn't looking like anything I had ever planned out. I had I had these incredible experiences, um, but I was so depressed all of the time. And I struggled with depression ever since I came out of the closet in the eighth grade. And it started from the point of rejection with me and this friend that I had fallen for. He had rejected me. And from there, I was looking for that, still that enamoration or that love or whatever you want to call it. Let me ask you a and, question about that, Samuel. Yeah. Would you would you say that the reason for that is because you were trying to find your identity in these relationships? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I had, I think when you grow up where no one can identify who you are or how to fit into what everybody else is. Um, you kind of have an identity crisis. It's like, I don't look like the regular boys or act like the regular boys. And um, I don't fit in with the girls either because I don't have breasts <laughs> and the private parts. But um, yeah, I I was having an identity crisis. And I'm like, am I loved? Um, who will appreciate me the way that I come? And so definitely. One of the other things, and I'm wondering if it started at this point, but I, I remember I've heard you say before that you really started experiencing things, spiritual things that, that you hadn't experienced before. Did that happen at this time? Spiritual things. Um, I mean, yes. When I did move to New York City and I was away from my parents, I started to feel things and have like in, I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like a discernment. Um, certain people I would look at and talk to, I, I feel like I could see demons. And it was very strange. I rarely ever talk about it because it, like sometimes it felt unreal. Like, I would look at someone's eyes and I just felt like they were dead on the inside or there was something behind those eyes. And so I did have spiritual experiences. I, I still was believing in Jesus and stuff, going to church, trying to go to church. I was going to like, I think, uh, Hillsong, New York City. And um, so that's interesting. So you never left your faith during this time? No, I never did. I, I love Jesus. I knew Jesus was real. I just, it was very hard for me to follow what he was asking me to do. And I had, I, I had a relationship. I, I, I would pray every night and um, I would pray before going to hook up with a guy and be like, God, <laughs> keep me safe. Please don't let me get murdered. Uh, <laughs> so he was always there, you know, for me. So where, where, where does the crisis come in? You're, you know, you're in New York living in this life, but you're having these, um, spiritual encounters and 
you are feeling depressed this, within this identity crisis and where does it come to a head? Yeah, I knew that I had to get out of New York after I had experienced a loss of friendships and just a hopelessness. I would say I, I mean, I slept with so many men. I don't say this to glorify it, but it's just the reality of what gay dating looks like. I mean, it's like, there is like this constant joke in uh, the gay world, which is like, first date is like third base. You know, it's like you go for everything, um, the back door, everything. And then the third date is when you um, are like get intimate as like, oh, you're going to kiss each other. You know, it's like, it's that kind of like a reverse uh, gay dating is extremely sexual, as I would say. And so I slept with a lot of men, um, I think over maybe probably possibly 200 men. And, um, and I was just so depressed that I was like, I got to get out of here. And I went to get a job on a cruise ship. And I traveled over to uh, Miami sold, like I didn't sell, but uh, had someone take over my lease in New York and moved in with my parents as I was getting assigned to a cruise ship got assigned, moved to Australia. When I went to Australia, I thought this was going to be the opportunity that was going to make me happy. It was like a job I always dreamed of traveling, seeing all these exotic islands and having fun. You know, I was young, so young and turned out that it didn't make me happy either. You know, I was what some would say living the best life ever, having my food taken care of, my rooming taken care of. Um, you know, just always constantly being on vacation. Um, but I was still so unhappy and and I couldn't find a relationship either, which was also very important to me. Like I wanted to share my life with someone and that commitment is just not a thing in the gay world. I mean, some people find it good for them, but I did not. And so I, I actually ended up leaving uh, that job after two months because I was unhappy and went back to Miami. And that's when the Lord finally encountered me. And... um. And he, I feel like the Lord was always trying to reach out to me, but I was just too full of myself to hear him, um, too full of my desires and my wants or what I thought was going to be good. And um, yeah, he reached out to me through a depressive episode. One night I was contemplating suicide and I was going to, uh, to kill myself the next day. And he just met me there. And it was while I slept, I reached out to him and I told him before I, before I went to bed, I told him, if you're real, because uh, at this point, I was like, I don't even know if you are real. Have I just been praying to nothing this whole time? Um, if you're real, I need you to prove it to me and show it to me. And um, and, sh and show me that you love me, you know, because uh, I'm going to kill myself. So this is the last chance. <laughs> Twisting God's arm. And um, and he came through for me. You know, the Lord really did came, come through. The next morning, I woke up feeling like everything had been lifted off of me. All my depression, my sadness. And I had this unexplainable joy. And I didn't know what had happened to me. And that was like the first experience that started me. Like I, I knew God was real, but I hadn't felt that in years. And so um, I was like, wow, okay, you know, God, you really are there for me. And I've pretty much lived my life the way that I thought I would see it fit. And it led me nowhere. And so I want to try things your way. And, and I trust you now because I fully tried it myself, everything. And it was a waste of, it was a waste of time, money, effort. And so... Um, I ended up just giving my life to Jesus there. Isn't that such a key idea that you decided to trust in 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 God? I I because I, I find that that's so often at the root of a lot of what we deal with is who 
Who are we going to allow to be king of our lives? Because society just preaches to us so much. You're, you're king, right? You do you. And, and it's all of this, you know, extreme individualism where we decide what's, what's right and what's wrong. And, and here, you know, we get to the, the end of that and like, man, this is, this has left me, you know, left you to the point of suicide. And you're like, okay, you know, am, am I going to actually trust God? I think it's something that a lot of us, uh, all of us <laughs> are struggling with, but it just manifests in different ways. What part of my life am I willing to give to the Lord and trust him? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I had tried everything. So for me, it wasn't, uh, so much a ton of faith that I had, but I was like, I really did it all. <laughs> and, um, and I, I can fully surrender to him, um, with no, with no, um, uh, regrets because I was like, um, I, you know, I, I think God and my life is kind of like the story of the prodigal son. Like he went out, he saw what was, what was there. And then he realized there was nothing that was going to be good for him. And I, I think I thank God for being the incredible father that he is to have such patience and allow for us to leave home and hope that we come back. Um, he's not manipulative. He's not controlling. Um, he'll bless us even on our way out, you know, and, and when we come back, he's so overjoyed to have us. And that is the most beautiful thing. I, I'm, I, I thank God every day for that because he didn't have to accept me back into his household. He didn't have to... Um, uh, ground me in love and give me a ring on my finger and, you know, put on a robe, but he did, he did. And, um, and then on top of that, he's used me, the more I've trusted, um, not only has he like welcomed me into his family, but he's like, he slaughtered every best calf that he had lamb that he had, uh, for me, um, and given me blessings upon blessings. I have an incredible ministry. I get to, I feel like I'm living my dream every day. I'm a leader and he's done so much through me. He didn't just like, okay, like now you're with me and, you know, just keep doing whatever, whatever is going to come your way. No, he, he like blessed me on top of that. And um, I definitely don't deserve that. I think that's such an important point that a lot of people struggle with. It, it, it's kind of like, I guess, two pronged. One is, God, do you love me? But then there's this trust component in knowing that God loves you and that God desires the best for you that God desires your flourishing, God desires your good. Because I think that, I don't know if you'd agree, but doesn't it seem like that's where a lot of the distrust comes in is, is really questioning, yeah. you know, God, do you actually love me? And, and if I trust you with my, you know, whatever aspect it is, whether it be money, sexuality, power, position, I mean, whatever it is, right? If I yeah. trust you with that, you know, and if I follow you, is that going to lead to my flourishing? Is that going to lead to my good? Yeah, definitely. I think um, that's something that the Lord has been showing me in these past years of walking with him is just how incredible his love is. You know, Paul says it, he says um, to the church, he says, I hope that you can come to understand the incredible love of God. Um, because when we know this, it changes everything, like the height, the depth, the width. It's not just like a, a thing we say that's like, well, that's cute. No, like you do not even come to begin the love of God for each one of us as his creation. Um, he is a love. He's a light. Um, he's all those things. And so um, I think uh, for someone to, to trust that, to know that, it will completely change their relationship with God. Because I don't look at my life now and, and be like, well, I'm missing out. You know, I don't have a partner. 
and I wanted my prince charming and, you know, all these things. It's like, okay, but I have the love of God and it's so much better than anything I could possibly imagine. His, his love takes the place of any idol that I could possibly create in my life. And it's so worth it. I mean, just like, it's like that hymn that says like, when I think about you, God, like the world just seems to disappear around me. Um, that's how infinite his love is. Like the world just disappears. Your, your desires, the things that you think are important and feel are important, they just go away. I, I want to talk about that for a moment because there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians even, they get, they get caught up on this. And I think they miss the point that you are beautifully articulated because they'll ask questions like, man, that just seems so mean of God to that, you know, homosexuals or people who feel a same-sex attraction are being called to be celibate. And, and I really, you know, I, you use the word idol. I, I think our culture has idolized sexuality, that this, is, yeah. this has become the height. And I think we get this from, I think it goes all the way back to Freud and farther, but we, we've really taken on this idea that we define ourselves by our sexuality and that, that, that this is what it means to be human for, for a lot of people. And so, you know, I, I think the way you put it, though, is, is really great, though. We, we've, we've made it into an idol. What, but what would you say to somebody who, who is maybe struggling with that or, or is making that argument? And I'm sure you've come across that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's mean for God to want to protect us and want the best thing for us. And I mean, if you think that you know what's best for you, then by all means, go for it. You know, I had to learn that my life was a mess and I had to humble myself and understand that I didn't do things right. And I thought I really was trying, you know, I wasn't trying to destroy my life. I wasn't trying to be sad every moment and cry every day in my car and, and um, everywhere I, I could get a moment. Um, I, I was a mess. My life was a mess. Uh, clearly, it wasn't working. And, and, and when I looked to God, I, he, he transformed my life. I don't struggle with depression anymore. I don't cry in my car. I don't like, like it's just there's no cloudiness. Um, there's this joy that's always constantly surrounding me. And so for the person that wants to believe that they, uh, that God is a cruel God because it's not allowing them to, to love someone of the same sex, but I think God would be a cruel God if he didn't speak truth about what actually happens within the dynamics of those relationships and how it cannot fulfill us. In the same way, and that's no different for heterosexuals versus homosexuals. Um, a, hom a heterosexual relationship cannot fulfill you. A homosexual relationship right. cannot fulfill you. Um, the only thing that is going to fulfill us is the living water that Jesus has. He Well, he's made that super apparent. Um, and so a lot of people, they have this, this understanding that, oh, um, if, if I get into that relationship, that I'm, I'm finally going to be happy. And, and it's our over-sexualized uh, culture, this wasn't a thing. Like even I think just a couple hundred years back ago, like arranged marriages were still a thing, you know, right. it was not about passions and lust and it was very, you know, business. And so, um, we've, we've changed as a society to believe the things that we believe within the last couple hundred years, but, but God has not changed his, his message has stayed the same. Do you know, it's interesting, even, even for myself, I, one of the hardest years of my life was when I first got married. Because I, mm. I had this, I had bought into this 
you know, Hollywood idea that, oh, you know, getting getting married and having sex and and all this, like I, I'm gonna be fulfilled and and it's gonna provide, you know, everything I've ever, you know, desired. I'm never gonna have any lustful thoughts. I'm never gonna have any challenges. Everything's gonna be great. I I really did believe this, Samuel. And and then I got married and my wife's awesome. I love her dearly. Don't get me wrong, but I had idolized sex. I had made sex into an idol and it disappointed greatly. And, mm. and it was interesting because, you know, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment, his, his answer, you know, isn't to go, you know, in other words, what's the, what's the most important thing to get right? Jesus isn't like, hey, go have as many sexual encounters, you know, as you can. That's gonna, you know, that's, that's where it's at, right? Of course. Jesus says, love, love God and love people, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. In other words, that, that's the identity is your relationship with God. But the challenge is, and it's interesting to see how this has even crept into the church, we're tempted to swap that for other things. I mean, even people who get married and that will idolize somebody else, right? And so then they'll get married, but then they'll be tempted because, oh, if I'm not being fulfilled with her, well, I've got to go find somebody else that's going to that's gonna go fulfill me, right? And before they know it, they've hit rock bottom because again, that's, that's not where it's found. Yeah, he's really the only one that can satisfy us and fulfill us. And, and that's also a process within itself too, uh, because a lot of people think that ah, I came to Jesus and, you know, I just didn't feel it, you know? And it's about walking with him through those things by faith and, 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 and having patience he compares us to trees in scripture, which is really interesting. He's always like looking at us as if it's like we're his garden or some sort of <laughs> weird thing. And um, and I believe it's because even with with greenery um, and with trees and all that stuff, it's there's a seasons of not having fruit, of of of, of leaves falling, and um, the tree getting you know cold and almost dying. And, and then there's seasons where, where we have that fruit and we ha like, it, it's so beautiful when it starts to flourish. And so, um, some people, they, they think that Jesus can't satisfy them because they gave him like a, a shot for like a month or a year or so. And, um, he can, it just takes some time, some, you know, and it takes walking in that, uh, no good. Like I think that's, it's that quote, which is, um, good things come to those who wait. And, um, and I waited in the gay community for a long time for things to get good because that was the propaganda that was um, fed to me early on. It was things will get better, things will get better, things will get better. But things did not get better. They got worse as time went on. My morals started to slip. Um, things that I was hungry for, it, it became a desperation um, that I couldn't live without. Uh, I thought I would never do half the things that I was doing, treat myself or respect myself. And that started to go. In other words, you were losing yourself. I was losing myself because I had no idea who I was. And, and none of us know who we are without God, heterosexual or homosexual. Um, it's the identity that we have can only come from the creator. And I like to use this analogy. It's like, it's like if, I, if I purchase an iPhone charger and, um, and the iPhone charger says to me, uh, well, no, if I, if I create an iPhone charger and the iPhone charger says to me, I don't feel like charging iPhones. I want to... <laughs> I want to charge an, an Android. And I'd be like, but you know, you're an, you're an iPhone charger. I made you as an iPhone charger. Who are you to tell me that you want to charge an Android? It's not going to work. You're not, you're not built like that. It's not going to work. Um, no, I want to. And then, okay, try. And, you know, it doesn't work out. 
Um, the identity has to come from the creator. If you don't think there is a creator or you doubt that the creator is speaking or whatever, you know, um, then you're going to be a mess. You're, who will you get your identity from? Because if you get it from another individual, they will surely disappoint you. And if you get it from your job, that will disappoint you. Whatever it is that you're trying to receive it from, the creator is the only one who can attach that rule book, that guidance. Um, what is your functionality? Um, and we all have to go to him for that. You know what's interesting about that uh, from a philosophical perspective? That's actually how we define what a thing is. We, we never mm. define a thing by its parts. We always define a thing by its purpose. And, and when, we, when we talk about a thing in the, in the context of what it means to flourish, flourishing is related to purpose. You, a thing flourishes when it fulfills the purpose that it was created for. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that, you know, if we're, if we're listening to what Jesus is, is saying, you're not going to flourish. You're not going to experience the fullness of humanity until you're in right relationship with God, until you're in a, in a loving relationship with God. And God's teaching you to love other people and, and how to be in, in, in relationship. It's, it's that that's going to lead to your good. Yeah, now, definitely, for sure. Now, I want to I ask you, though, when you came to, to Christ and, and you made this turn in your life, did the demonic stuff in your life stop? Actually, I don't, you know, it's so weird because, um, you know, in the Bible where it talks about how when you depart from your parents, you become like, like individual on your own. Uh, it, it usually is in the reference of marriage. Um, well, I left my parents' house and I no longer was under their protection and their guidance. And so I started to experience, experience things as an individual connected to the spiritual instead of having to travel in an order. I do believe in God's order. And when you're under your parents, like they are your spiritual protection per se. Same thing, pastors, you know, all that stuff. Um, people to protect you and guide you in God's order. And um, I moved out and I started to see that everywhere that I went. And then when I moved back in with my parents, that went away. And it was the most bizarre thing. And so I am believing that like when I do actually move out of my parents once again, when I get married or wherever, whenever that is, that I'll start to try like experience those things again, start seeing things in the spiritual that maybe I'm not seeing right now because I'm still sort of under my parents' roof. So <laughs> when you say uh, marriage, Samuel, uh, is that something where you've opened yourself up to uh, a heterosexual relationship? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't think that would be possible. It's not even something I was looking for, really. I just wanted Jesus. I always just wanted Jesus. And so I'm like, hey, God, like, if you want me to be married, sure. If you don't, I mean, whatever you want. I, like, he had become my joy and my happiness. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know why I would need anything other than him. And, um, but in these last couple of years, I have felt that I have always wanted a family. I always wanted a partner. And um, I have met certain women uh, of the opposite sex that I'm like, I wouldn't mind spending a lot of time with this individual and with, with this person. And so when the right person comes along, I don't think it's going to be that much of a challenge to enjoy spending time with them and, and have romantic feelings that are pure. And so I don't feel lust towards women. For sure, I don't. And that probably not the way that a heterosexual man feels it. But a romantic, beautiful, pure feelings for women, I think that's for sure possible. I've, I've met incredible women that I'm like, wow, it is a joy to spend time with you. And, and if, if I were to wake up next to you every day, that probably would be phenomenal. 
and and the woman is an incredible helper when it comes to ministry and understanding. There are things so much I can only do as a man that uh, a woman can really compliment me and I to her. You know, we're me meant to work in conjunction to each other. And so um, I'm looking forward to that if that does happen. And if not, if it's not something that God wants for me, he wants, he wants me for him, then, then I'm okay with that too because <laughs> more rewards and uh, more, more intimacy. Because if I have a kid and a wife, I definitely won't be able to spend as much time as I do with God then um, like I do now being single. I think that that's such a, a, a key idea, again, that people sometimes struggle with. But just simply asking, is God your joy? Is Jesus enough for you, right? Is, is he enough? Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I think there's a lot of single people that really struggle right now because if you're living in a hyper-sexualized culture, I think they, they feel so inadequate, right? Because yeah. they're single and then there's all this pressure being put on them, you know, where they're being really being pushed to not see Jesus being enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like that Lana Del Rey song, The World Was Meant for Two. <laughs> you know, it's like when you go to a restaurant, the booths, they fit two. You know, when you ride a roller coaster, it fits two. Um, it's this incompleteness that you feel. Uh, but I don't feel incomplete. I feel like my missing puzzle piece has been Jesus. And there's no one that could fit that hole like him. You know, he's he's my everything. And I find so much joy and fulfillment in that, that I'm like, I mean, even if I did get married, there's no way that, that a woman would be able to compare to the love of Jesus. I mean, he's like, it's, she's a human being, you know, there's going to be things she's not going to understand about me. Uh, and, and I think that is the root awakening that most believers are going to face, especially if they're single and idolizing marriage, which is something I talk about a lot. Because I do call out certain things in the church, not because I hate the church or I don't, I, I'm trying to, you know, be controversial, but it's because I care about the church. And I'm like, that's not really a biblical perspective that you have, you know, and, and we want to clear that up so that you don't get hurt later on. Because uh, so many Christians nowadays, they have an obsession over marriage and a, 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 an understanding like you, like, it's like, oh, well, you know, this is going to fix all my problems. And this is what I have to do in order to please the Lord. And no, you know, uh, at Matthew chapter 19, it says it very clearly that um, to be single for, for the kingdom of God is like an honor and a gift from, from the Lord. And, and, and it's better if you're single. Paul said that. He's like, it is better if you're single. So um, why? Because you can devote more, more time to our, our Savior, to the beloved one. And so I have found incredible joy in my relationship with God. I, I don't know anyone else that would be able to compete with Jesus. I mean, like, people are so flawed, man. I No way. <laughs> no way. Yes, I know. That's, 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 I think, one of the key aspects of the every Christian has to come to terms with. People are messed up, and so am I, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it's, that's the starting place where you come to Jesus and you're like, okay, Jesus, you are not messed up. Please, please teach me, you know? And then also, this is something you keep hitting and I, and I so appreciate God loves you and God's desire is for your good. God's desire is for your flourishing. Sometimes people get confused, a God of love for a God of rules, but same thing with a parent, a parent loves their child and a good parent 
and gives their child rules, not because of the rules, but because of their love and their desire to see their good. Hey, uh, you know, we started this conversation by putting a pin in in the this thing about ministry. Let's circle back to that as we close our conversation. Yeah. You were just saying that min- ministry can be tough. Tell me, tell me about that. What are some of the struggles? Let me open that up a little further too. When did you realize you were actually being called into ministry? Well, I didn't even know what ministry was. And so when I started my journey with the Lord, I had started going to a, a church that was just like another mega church. Nobody knew who I was or anything like that. It was just, you come on Sundays and everyone's dressed really nicely and you listen to a good preaching and then you, you go home. And so I wasn't really educated on anything, but I had this fire and passion to explore more of God. And Sundays wasn't going to do it for me. Like I needed it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I would go to <laughs> random churches because I heard they were having Bible studies. And they're like, who are you? And I was like, I'm here for the Bible study. <laughs> like, we don't we don't know who you are. I'm like, it's okay. Like, I just, I just want to talk about Jesus. I had just this intensity for Jesus. And, um, and so the Lord, uh, told me to start a men's group, uh, on, I think like Wednesday nights or something like that. And, and a Krispy Kreme. And I was talking to someone about this men's group that had been running for a couple of weeks. And the girl, she told me, she's like, Oh, so you started a ministry. And I was like, what is a ministry? <laughs> she's like, she's like, Oh, when you do stuff, you know, for God. And I was like, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing this for the Lord. He told me to do it. I didn't, I didn't know that it was ministry. And, and then the Lord started pressing upon my heart more and more. I was working as a personal trainer still at the time. It was all I knew how to do. And the Lord just removed my clientele. Um, he made it possible for me to go into full-time ministry. And for three years, I did not see fruit. It was honestly awful. It was the worst. Um, I was rejected <laughs> by churches. Oh, no, it was, it was awful. Um, I'm sorry rejected by churches. Yeah, rejected by churches, um, lost friends. Um, I, there was a huge scandal with with the church that I was going with that they didn't they didn't like what I was doing, and um, I created a whole podcast episode about it. And uh, and I just wanted to seek the Lord. You know, I didn't I didn't understand why why all this was happening, why I wasn't being successful either. And then now I'm really glad because I I, I see that when the Lord brought me into ministry, He had to refine me and. He had to teach me how to be a mature leader, how to speak, what to know, um, how to interpret his word. That was like during that time, I started going to Bible school. So I went to get my uh, biblical literature degree and just studying the Bible and answering all these questions that I had that I needed to know the answers for other people and for myself. So um, that's how I got started in ministry. And then my video went viral uh, about like three years later. Uh, had been posted on YouTube for about a year, just sitting there on the internet. And the Lord made it go viral. And I got, I went from like, I think like, I had like 5,000 views or something like that. It was like friends and family. And um, it jumped to 300,000 views overnight, overnight. And that's when the Lord called me to online ministry. And he was speaking very clearly at that time in my life. And it was during uh, the pandemic. And so the perfect time to get online because everybody was getting online at that time. Um, but my experiences have been that through ministry, it has felt like a very lonely, consecrated life. You know, that by the words of Catherine Coleman, like a, a consecrated life is a lonely life. And I haven't seen many people that are, you know, like a John the Baptist paving the way for the Messiah. 
And I, I haven't seen people with a fire burning in their bellies to go out there and talk to people about Jesus and to do extraordinary things, uh, leave behind their jobs, families, friendships, uh, surrender everything and drop all that they're doing to, to minister unto the Lord and, and to come into obedience with what he's calling them to do in their lives. I think some people, they want to eat their cake and, well, they want to have their cake and eat it too. You know, um, they want to have the Christianity without any of the work. And, um, and so it's been lonely for sure. And even speaking about such a controversial topic as homosexuality, this has become the, the main message of my ministry, which I didn't want it to be. I studied to be <laughs> biblical literature. <laughs> you know, I wanted <laughs> to be a Bible teacher. As I was telling you, I have such respect for people who have masters and doctorates in theology, but uh, here we are. And I get, to, I get to be that hope for people out there that uh, don't have a voice or don't feel like anybody understands them still to this day and uh, create some light in ministry for this topic. But it has been incredibly difficult. And um, I feel very alone, you know, in, in this. But that's the life of a pioneer, you know. It, it is. And my heart goes out to you, brother, because the work you're doing is, is challenging. And I, and I just pray that those people who are listening just would lift you up in prayer. Uh, I've Thank done you. ministry for a long time. And one of the things I have found is certain topics, if you talk on them, the, the spiritual warfare is real. Um, And I'll tell you what the two, the two that I feel at the most is in my ministry. If I have, um, when I've talked on Islam and when I've talked on sexuality and gender, those are, those are the two big ones. And I (laughs) don't know why. That's hilarious. I know, right? (laughs) Because I'm like, uh. It's it's kind of crazy. I actually am uh, getting really into um, things that are happening overseas in Iran with the Iranian protests and uh, the incredible mass. Uh, um, well, I would say the incredible movement that's happening right now with the underground church with yeah. Muslims. And so I post on my ministry about Muslim and sexuality, the two biggest <laughs> monsters. But the Lord, uh, the Lord that actually told me. That is the beast nest me, right there, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't, I didn't even try to get into those types of things. It just like found me. The Lord like led me into that. I'm like, are you serious right now, God? Like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I just wanted to talk theology. Um, but the Lord told me when I first got into ministry, he, he, he made it very clear that if like, if I was ready to be martyred for the faith and, um, and, you know, I'm like, what an honor, God, to to not just live for you, but to also experience death in the same way that you did. Um, it says there are beautiful rewards for for people that do experience that. And I'm like, I don't want to live this life anyways. Ain't nothing good here. You know, I'm ready to go. So when you say it's time to go, I'm ready to go. You know, I just don't want to be tortured. You know, there's like, just like, just kill me. You can kill me, but just don't torture me because I'm a big baby. So... Do you know, oh, that's gonna do you know what's interesting about that is it's, it seems sometimes, right, the longer you live where you're like, boy, I, you know, I started life being afraid of dying and, and the older you get, the more I'm afraid of living sometimes. So it's like, I'm ready to go. I'm like, right. I'm like Paul in Philippians, you know, I'm, he's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I'm there with you too, Paul. Like I'm done with this life. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I know we, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Where it's this balance between. We have this hope of what's to come. And yet at the same time as you're doing, just saying, God, use me, use me for the kingdom. Exactly. All well, hey, him. as we close, um, Samuel, first, where, where can people go to learn more about your ministry and the work you're doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, if you want to know more, 
I, I have a website, samuelabrahamperez.com. So my full name, um, pretty much in every social media, it's Samuel Abraham P, uh, my name again. And uh, you can go on my website. Uh, people can support, like, let's say you like my Bible studies um, or you like the work that I'm doing. Uh, I'm full-time, you know, just uh, asking people for help to partner with me. So they can do that all through my website. There's a lot of donation links. Um, I also run an entire online church community on Discord for, for the younger generation, but anyone is invited to come. If you know how to work Discord, it can, can work Discord. We invite you to come on. And we've basically made a, a church online for people who want to do things um, not so traditionally and are open to uh, wanting to do discipleship uh, through online. And then maybe hopefully later on in person when we get that developed. But um, many ways of contacting me. I do check direct messages, try to get through everyone. The only thing I don't really check is my email. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, if you, want, if you want to get in contact with me, best way is Discord and social medias. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Hey, uh, as we close, though, let me just, uh, I'd love to just end our podcast today just by praying for you, Samuel, and your ministry. Thank you. Yes. God, thank you so much uh, for Samuel. And I, I'm so thankful for his faith and just the passion that he has for you. And I can see, um, since I first saw a you know, video of him, I can just see your grace in his life and, and your love. And God, I just pray that you would fill him up with your spirit, that you would encourage him. He, he is definitely doing ministry in um, some of the most difficult uh, topics right now. This is definitely an area where Satan has a stronghold in our culture and he doesn't want to give it up. And, and God, I, I just pray that you would encourage Samuel, give him strength, give him perseverance, give him a community that would just come alongside him uh, as, he, as he does ministry. And, and as the, the ministry he's doing grows, God, I just pray that he would have godly men and women that could come alongside him and, and help him in it, God. And I just pray your richest blessings over the work that he's doing in the furthering of your kingdom. And God, we both look forward to the day uh, that we see you face to face and that we're in your kingdom, Lord. And uh, until that day, we pray that we could be um, as fruitful as possible uh, of telling people about you and seeing people come to know and love you. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Sammy, for joining us. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We pray you were challenged and encouraged. As always, make sure to like and subscribe. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. We'd love to hear from you online. So if you have any questions or maybe you want to connect with Samuel Perez, feel free to head to the resources that he mentioned in the podcast or send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com and we can send you in the right direction. But until next time, you know the drill. Love God, love people. Bye for now.